Amen. Amen. Good morning, Haynes Creek. and have a seat. It's good to be with you this morning. Thanks for braving the cold. We thought spring was here, but Georgia tricked us again. Right now, we're back to winter. So this is a lot of fun. But thanks for being here. Uh, good to be worshiping with all of you this morning. If it is your first time, just want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here worshiping with us as our guest today. We truly do appreciate that. And uh, as a way to show our appreciation, uh, if you wouldn't mind, before you head home, please stop by our welcome table. It's right out there as you go back on the hallway. We have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today. If you wouldn't mind uh, just grabbing one of those. Uh, uh, we also have these little welcome cards. If you wouldn't mind filling one of those out, those come back to me and just gives me a chance to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. And before we get started, just got a couple of announcements just want to make you aware of. We've been uh, announcing this, but our women's Bible study is going to be launching soon at the end of this month. Uh, it's going to meet on Wednesday evenings. It's hosted and led by my wife, Kendra, and uh, it's going to be a study walking through the books, the New Testament books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So if you would like to participate in that and you haven't signed up yet, uh, please do so soon. We have to order workbooks. So if you're at all interested... Please sign up even today. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just going to our website, you can find it in the email or you can let uh, me know today if you're interested in that so I can add you to the list. We make sure we get enough books for everybody. But if you could go ahead and let us know that you're interested, we would really appreciate that. And then also, our, uh, we have an a upcoming members class, a new members class that we call Discover Haynes Creek. This is an opportunity for those of you who might be a little newer, or maybe uh, you've been here for a little while and you're, you're ready to take the next step into membership, or if you fall uh, kind of anywhere along that spectrum, this, this class is perfect for you. It's an opportunity for us to, to dive deep into who we are as a church, our mission and vision, our theology and doctrine, and, and our ministry philosophies, and, and discipleship opportunities, engagement opportunities, all all that stuff, uh, we spend a bunch of time just kind of walking through all of that to give you all the information you could possibly need to prayerfully decide if this is the church God wants you at. So if you are interested in, in learning more about who we are, or you're interested maybe in what membership looks like here, this class is perfect for you. You can sign up today. It'll also be in the email going forward if you'd rather wait for that, but haynescreek.com discover, and it's going to be right after service on Sunday, February 25th, lunch and child care will be provided for those who need that. So if you wouldn't mind signing up, if you have any questions about that, let me know. And then also, uh, we've had this in the email as well, but we have a Relay for Life team um, that's been gathering support and things like that. If you wouldn't mind signing up for that, there's information in our email. And that team will also have breakfast ready for us next week. So next week, church, come hungry, ready to eat, and uh, support that team. We can donate to them. Uh, that'll all be available next Sunday. So if you wouldn't mind uh, just keeping that in mind throughout this week. But uh, but yeah, let me, uh, let me pray for us, and then we will get started today. We are going to continue on in our series through Philippians. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. But let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump in. Jesus, we thank you for this day, Lord, and what a blessing it is to gather together as your church, Lord. I think too often we, we and myself, we can just take that simple truth for granted, Lord. There, there are people gathering all over the world right now that don't have the freedom that we do to come and just worship you. Lord, in, in, in peace and without fear of, uh, of bad things happening, Jesus. So it is a blessing, and we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your people and, and worship and lift high your name, Lord. So we pray your hand of blessing over us today in this room as we open up your word. Lord, would you teach us, Lord? We, we don't want to hear my ideas, or we don't want to hear from Travis. We want to hear from you, Jesus. Would you teach us? Would you open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you would have for us today, Jesus? We ask all of this in your powerful name. Amen. 
Okay, so uh, have you guys ever had a, a moment in life, uh, maybe you, you do this often, I don't know, maybe it's just your personality, I don't know, but has there ever been something where you're like, you just get into something, maybe it's a new hobby, a new activity, or just something that you're like, I'm going to do a deep dive on learning about this, this one thing, right? And, and with the information age that we're in, like there's no shortage of opportunities, like you could lose yourself for hours watching YouTube videos and reading articles. Remember, so uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's hobbies or it's new things we want to learn. I remember a silly example of this when I was in high school, um, uh, my buddies and I, I don't know, we were just bored, I guess, looking for something to do. We were like, hey, you know what's a great idea? Let's all learn how to skateboard. I'm like, okay, sounds great. And we were not like the typical people that, that would do that, but we were just like, this sounds fun. Let's do that. So we all bought skateboards. We all figured it out. We were all learning and we were just making a fool of ourselves. But it was just something silly that we just kind of lost ourselves in for a few months. And then we just kind of moved on to the next thing. Uh, I, I got a buddy of mine uh, who does this pretty frequently every few months. He's like learning and digging into something new. I remember uh, recently it was mountain biking. He's like, hey man, I'm gonna mountain bike. I was like, okay, cool, sounds great, man. Let me know how that goes. And he spent a bunch of money on this really nice bike and he was going like every day after he'd go every single day, always trying to talk me into it. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not trying to die on a mountain. No, thank you, I'm good. I'm good here with my two feet walking on the ground. I don't need that. So, but he would do that. And then a few weeks ago, I was like, hey man, how's, how's the mountain biking going? He's like, oh, I don't do that anymore. Okay, cool, man. What you into now? And it was the next thing that he's into. Like, we just have these things we just do a deep dive on. We, we lose ourselves in it. And, and what we're going to see today is, is Paul's going to relate that type of mindset of wanting to dig deep into something, to learn all that you can and lose yourself in something. He's going to relate that to our relationship with Jesus. So again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So we left off in verse 9 last Sunday. We've been kind of tracing this idea throughout Philippians chapter 3 where Paul is building on some pretty key truths and important ideas, right? He starts out reminding us to find our joy in Jesus. And part of how we do that is to avoid the false teaching and doctrine that's out there that can lead us astray from Christ. And he calls us to, to remember who we are in Christ and not put our confidence and our hope and our righteousness in the flesh or what our works can get us or anything like that. And we saw last week where Paul kind of traces, like, look, man, if anybody can put confidence in the flesh, if anybody could earn righteousness from God based on their good works, Paul's like, it's me, man, I could have done that. And he kind of traces through his background and his, his personal accomplishments that kind of show this, like, man, he was like as, as good of a Jewish man as you could possibly be. And Paul tells us in these verses that we saw last week, man, like, all of that is garbage compared to Jesus. And if you want true righteousness, if you want a true relationship with God, it only comes through Jesus. And he tells us in verse 8 that all of these personal accomplishments that he had, all these good things that he thought were awesome and was earning him salvation in life, when he compared that to what he calls the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, he says that all that stuff is loss. All that stuff is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And here in verse 10, he's going to pick up on that idea of knowing Jesus, and he's going to give us some more uh, depth and detail on what it means to truly know Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in verse 10, and we're going to go all the way through verse 11 today. So two verses. I know it's a it's little bit, but man, there's such good deep truth here that we need to camp out on for a little bit. So starting in verse 10, let me read it for us. If you have your Bible, awesome. If you don't, the, the verses will be back here on the screen. Uh, we also have Bibles at our table that we would love to give you on your way out. If you don't own one, please, please grab one of those as our gift to you today. So starting in verse 10, it says this, 
My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So again, like I said, Paul picks up this this concept that he mentioned, this truth that he mentioned in verse 8 of this idea of knowing Jesus. And we said last week that this idea of knowing Jesus, when the Bible talks about knowing someone or knowing God, it's talking about this, this deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And that's what Paul is, is talking about here. So he says that his goal, his desire is to know Jesus. And you might be thinking like, he already knows Jesus. He knows Jesus. You, you talked about that last week, Travis. You talked about his conversion. And we see that in Acts chapter 9 where he puts his faith in Jesus and he, and he knows Jesus, right? He, he knows him. Like, why, why is he saying that his goal is to know him when he already knows him? And Paul's point is that he wants to know Jesus more. He wants to know Jesus even more than he already does. Man, he wants to lose his life with Jesus. He's not satisfied. He's not content with his relationship with Jesus. He wants more. He wants more. And before we get into what he means by knowing Jesus more and more, I want to camp out on that thought for a minute because this is, this is Paul, again, who's writing this. This is Paul. And, and by this point in Paul's life, like he's been walking with Jesus for probably close to 20 years or more at this point. He knows Jesus really well. He knows scripture really well. Like we, we see the depth of his writing where, man, he knows the scripture. He knows theology. He probably knows more about Jesus than we will ever come close to in our lives. Like Paul knows him. He's walking closely with Jesus. I mean, Paul probably had one of the closest relationships with Jesus than anybody who's ever lived. And yet Paul is saying, I want to know him more. I want to know him more. I want more. I'm not, I'm not done. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at with Jesus. I want to know him more. That's his goal. That's his desire. And, and if we are believers, those of us in this room who have put our faith in Jesus, that should be our goal too. That should be our desire too, to know Jesus more. So do we desire that? Throughout this morning, let's honestly ask ourselves that question. Do we want to know Jesus like Paul knows Jesus? Or, or if we're being honest, are, are, are we good? Would we say, you know what, I, I've got enough Jesus. I don't need more of Jesus in my life. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good, right? I'm good. I've reached the level of spirituality where I'm, I'm content. I'm good. I don't want to give anymore. I don't want to sacrifice anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to get any deeper than I currently am because then I might be one of those weird super Christians that always talks about Jesus. Like, I don't need all that. I don't want all that. Like, let, let's be honest with ourselves. Do we truly want to know Jesus like Paul's talking about here, or, or have we had enough? Have we reached our limit? Are we content and satisfied with the depth of relationship that we currently have? See, Paul wanted, Paul wanted more of Jesus. He wanted all that he could possibly get of Jesus. He wanted to lose his entire life with Jesus, have everything in his life wrapped up and around Jesus to make everything all about Jesus, right? That's what we see in, in chapter one where he says those famous words, to live is Christ. His life, he wants it to be all about Jesus. He doesn't want to be satisfied. He doesn't want to be content with his relationship with Jesus. He wants to know more. And if we would say, man, I, I want that too. I want to know more 
Jesus. I want to have more Jesus. Well, Paul tells us here, that he gives us four ideas, four concepts, four details and, and parts of, of what it looks like to know Jesus more and more throughout our lives. And, and here it, it reads almost like a prayer. And I think it is something that we can and should pray for as believers. So he tells us here that in order to know Jesus, to know him more and more, to know him deeply, he said that, that we need to, to do four things here. Live in the God's resurrection power, share in Jesus's sufferings, be conformed to Jesus's death, and reach the full and final resurrection. So there's our outline for today. Uh, that's where we're going for the rest of our time. So if you're taking notes, Number one here, the first thing he tells us, to know Jesus, we are to live in God's resurrection power. We are to live in God's resurrection power. Look again at verse 10, the words that he uses here. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. To know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, nerdy grammar alert for you guys here. If you're not interested, you can tune me out for a second here. But, but when he says there, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He's not kind of listing out different concepts. It's not like point one is to know him. Point two is to know the power of his resurrection. No, the, that and there that kind of links all this together is what nerdy theologians call exegetical. If you've heard that term, it's a grammar term, not just a theological term. It's a word that explains something. It, it, it's explaining further and deeper what it means to know Jesus. So just kind of, again, nerdy grammar alert. We can move on now. Sorry to bore you with that, but I think it's important for us to kind of know how these things link together in Scripture. So he, he says to know him, and, and what it means to know him is that we, we live in this power of his resurrection. So what, what on earth does that mean? What does it mean to, to know or to live in or to have the power of Jesus's resurrection? Well, I think it's a reference to three different ideas around the resurrection. So the first reference here, I believe, is is God's power displayed in Jesus' actual resurrection. God's power displayed in his resurrection. He says, uh, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. He says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. So we know that that Jesus dies on the cross, that he was actually dead, that he was actually buried, that there was a big stone rolled in front of the tomb to seal him in there. He was actually dead on Good Friday. He was dead. But we know on the third day, Easter morning, Jesus busts out of the tomb and he is alive, raised from the dead. And we're told throughout scripture that what raised Jesus from the dead is God's power. It is God's power that raised him from the dead. So I think that's the first reference here to Jesus' actual resurrection. That's the power of God by raising him from the dead. I think the second reference here is God's power in our own salvation. God's power in our salvation. Our salvation is spoken of throughout Scripture as a type of resurrection. A type of resurrection. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, starting in verse 1. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's how the Bible refers to us outside of our salvation in relationship with Jesus. We're dead in our sins. Other places refer to it as being slaves to our sins. 
What scripture means when it says that we are dead in our sins, it doesn't mean that, that we can't ever do something good, right? That you only sin. Like we know non-believers who do some really good things in this world, right? So that, that's not what it means. What it means is by being dead in our sins, it means that we could do nothing to bring salvation to our own lives. We can't do it. We don't have the capability of saving ourselves because we're dead. Dead people can't do anything. I don't know if you guys knew that, but just, you know, just in case you're aware now, dead people can't do anything. They're dead. And they can't raise themselves up on their own, right? Somebody has to do that. And God is the one who raises us from the dead here. So if you continue on in Ephesians chapter 2, you get to verse 4, and it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us—what's that word, church? Oh, wait, it's not there. Never mind. Made us alive. Made us alive. Made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. So the Bible speaks of our salvation as a type of resurrection. We were dead in our sins, and now we're alive in Christ. We were slaves to our sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness. We are new. We are made alive in Christ by putting our faith in him. We are, we are raised from the dead, right? And this is why baptism is such a cool picture of salvation. It's why we are called to baptize by immersion, because it's this picture of our spiritual lives, right? We're buried in the water. It's a symbol of being dead in our sins, and then we're raised out of the water to represent this new life that we've been raised to in Jesus. So our salvation is a type of resurrection, and God does all of that by his power. And then the, the third reference I think Paul is making to resurrection here is, is to the resurrection power that is available to us each and every day of our lives. Paul is, is talking about this idea that we as believers are to live every moment of our lives through God's power, relying on, resting on, depending on God's power. What scripture tells us, if you look at Romans chapter 8, I don't, I don't have the verse for you, but you can go back and look at Romans chapter 8. It tells us that the very power through the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides within us. I mean, just think about that for a moment and how wild that is, church, that, that we have the very power that raised Jesus from the dead residing within us and available to us as believers, so what, is that, what does that mean? What are, we, what are we talking about here? What does it look like to live a life in resurrection power? Let me give you three ideas of what kind of life that is. One is it's a life of freedom. Living in resurrection power is a life of freedom. Again, through our faith in Jesus, when he saves us, he frees us from the power of sin, right? No longer are we dead in our sins. No longer are we slaves to sin. We're raised up so that we can live a new life in Christ. Scripture speaks of the power of sin no longer having a hold on us. Colossians chapter 2, 15 tells us that, that when Jesus was raised from the dead, when he defeated the cross, when he defeated Satan and his power over us. And we can walk in that victory, church. Living in resurrection power means that we live a life of freedom. No longer are we bent so far towards sin. No longer do we give our hearts and our lives to sin. We don't live that way anymore. We have freedom to follow Jesus and live for him. We don't, we're not bound to our sin. It's not a, uh, uh, an end result that, that has to happen, right? It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect or we can somehow attain perfection in this life. 
But it does mean that we don't always have to give into that temptation. We don't have to give into that sin. It has no power over us other than the power that we give it. Jesus has set us free from the power of sin. It's also a, a freedom from guilt and shame. Look, the reality is we have two options, right? We can live life in Christ through our own strength or through his strength. Now, we as believers can easily be tempted to live in our own strength and in our own power. And this is what Paul's been talking about, right? Like, don't put confidence in the flesh. Put your confidence in Christ. Rest on Christ. Because if, it, if we live lives like it's all on us, like, like they, Jesus does the saving and then he kind of leaves us to live our life in him on our own and by ourselves and in our own strength, well, what happens when we mess up? What happens when we struggle and we fail? And it's so easy to just sit back in that sin of, of guilt and shame and to heap the condemnation on us that Christ has set us free from. He doesn't want us to live in shame and guilt anymore. He set us free from that. So when we live in his power, we live under his grace and mercy and love. And when we stumble and fail, we remember and remind ourselves of that truth that God still loves me, that he still gives me grace and mercy, and that I can always repent and turn back to him, and that his love and approval and acceptance isn't based on what I do or don't do. It's based on what Jesus has already done for us. That doesn't ever change. So it's life free from guilt and shame. It's a life free from the strongholds of sin. Again, we don't have to live this life where we constantly struggle with the same sin over and over and over and over again. God has set us free from that through his power. It's a life free from worry and fear because we know and are reminded that our God has power over the grave, that death is not the end for God. Man, he can defeat and conquer and is bigger and more powerful than, than anything that we have going on in our lives, anything that could lead us to worry and fear. So living in resurrection power is a life of freedom. It's also a life of satisfaction. This is, again, what we've been talking about here. Knowing Christ deeply means that we find our satisfaction in him. And living in resurrection power reminds us that, that everything that we long for in this life can be found and is found in Jesus. It's a life that's full of joy based on Jesus and what he gives us, not based on our circumstances. It's a life of gratitude and contentment, thankful for the things that he's blessed us with, not always looking for what I don't have or what I want and can't seem to get. That's resurrection power. It's a, it's a life that, that constantly remembers what the resurrection tells us is, is that God is always at work making all things new. That, that death doesn't have the final word. Jesus does that our God is a God of new beginnings, of fresh starts, of new mercies every single day. That's life in resurrection power. There's always hope. There's always remembering that God is not done, that he is always at work. And resurrection power, living a life in resurrection power, is also a life devoted to Jesus. It's a life being, again, filled with the gratitude of who Christ is and what he's done for us and gladly giving him our entire lives. The resurrection reminds us, man, that we can be free to live for Jesus because there's no fear of anything else. Again, Paul tells us that to live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain. Paul wasn't scared of dying because he knows, man, if that happens, I get to be with Jesus. And how awesome is that? That's awesome. But if I continue on living that I live for Jesus, and that's awesome too. 
That's the mindset that the resurrection reminds us of and lets us have. And that's why Paul, even though he's, again, sitting in prison, chained up to a Roman guard 24-7, he can have that kind of mindset. He can have that kind of joy. That says, no matter what happens in his life, man, I get to live for Jesus because of God's power. This is what theologian Gordon Fee says. He says this, Paul knows nothing of the rather gloomy stoicism that is <clears throat> so often exhibited in historic Christianity, where the lot of the believer is basically that of slugging it out in the trenches with little or no sense of Christ's presence and power. On the contrary, the power of Christ's resurrection was the greater reality for him. So certain was Paul that it had happened. After all, he had been accosted and claimed by the risen Lord on the Damascus Road, and that Christ's resurrection guaranteed his own, that he could throw himself into the present with a kind of holy abandon, full of rejoicing and thanksgiving. That's what the resurrection does for us. (laughs) Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That's what the resurrection does for us. It allows us to live a life of full devotion to Jesus, a life fully marked by the power and the presence of Christ. For those that maybe it feels like we're slugging it out in the trenches, let the resurrection fill us afresh with a deep love and devotion to Jesus. All right, number two, number two. Number two, we are to share in Jesus's sufferings. We're to share in Jesus's sufferings. Let's look again at verse 10. Verse 10, my goal is to know him, and by that Paul means know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. That, that word fellowship there, we love that word in church, right? How many of y'all grew up at a church with a fellowship hall? I know I did, man. Like, we love to fellowship. And we're Southern Baptists here, man. We love a good potluck fellowship, right? So what, what does that word mean? We use it all the time in church. We see this all the time in Scripture, that the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, And it's used frequently throughout the New Testament to speak about the relationships within the church and activity within the church. And how Paul uses it here, it points to that idea of of sharing with something, of participating in something, or, or partaking in something with someone. So what are we to participate in? Jesus' sufferings. Great news, right, church? That's awesome, right? What it means to follow Jesus is to share Jesus's sufferings. Now, again, that's kind of a wild idea, right? I mean, Paul's talking about this deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus and knowing him and learning more about him and digging deeper and, and, and living in that res- like resurrection power. That's awesome. And now we got to suffer? Huh, what, what's going on with that, right? Like, what, what's, what's Paul talking about here? What the Bible reminds us of over and over and over again is this truth that suffering is a reality for believers in Jesus. It, it is. Suffering is a reality. If we are going to follow Jesus, and he even tells us this, right? He tells us that if we are to be his followers, we should expect suffering and persecution. We should expect that. In Jesus' own words in John 15. He says this, John 15, verse 18. He says, the world hates you. Understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And Jesus tells us clearly, if we're going to be his followers, we should expect suffering and persecution simply for the fact of just following him alone. Now, look, persecution, uh, we talk about that a lot, and sometimes I think we kind of overdo it, and we kind of label things as suffering and persecution that just aren't really that. And when you compare it to what's happening across the globe, like we here in the States kind of really don't know what suffering and persecution for the name of Jesus is. But, but I do think there, there's different levels and spectrum when it comes to suffering and persecution. I mean, we look at the, the historical context of what's happening in Philippi at this moment. If Christians in Philippi are not having their lives threatened, Right? They're not being hauled off to jail just for the fact of worshiping Jesus. But there is this mounting cultural pressure to reject the ways of Christ and come back to the ways of the world. So the way this would happen in Philippi and, and during places like the Roman Empire, I mean, so much business was built on trade and commerce and, and, and bartering and all that kind of stuff. And what could happen as a Christian, if you were a vocal public Christian at this time, man, when people could be like, man, I don't do business with Christians. Nope, can't trade here. Nope, can't, can't buy here. Nope, not going to do that. No, 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 no. You need to worship Caesar just like the rest of us or else you can't come here. So there was this financial pressure. There was this cultural pressure, this, this loss of social status that you could have as a Christian living it out in this time. So there was very much this idea of like, well, maybe I, maybe I don't let people know that I'm a Christian. Maybe, maybe I keep that to myself, and I just, you know, that's just for me and my personal time, and nobody else needs to really know about that. And, and I think we can relate to that. I mean, we face similar cultural pressure here to kind of keep our faith to ourselves, right? As a, as a believer now, if we were a vocal one, it could lead to having, you know, some awkward relationships with friends where people are like, man, you really, you really worship Jesus? You really go to church on Sundays? That's weird. You really give your money to some place? Like, uh, that's crazy, y'all. What are you doing? Like, there's, we have these, this, this awkward relationship sometimes. We can maybe even lose some social status with one another. We, we could maybe even miss out on a, on a promotion, right? Like, we could be discriminated against simply because we are a Christian. We can stick out because we live life differently, right? Like, there's awkward conversations with another, especially if you have kids, like with a parent who's a non-Christian, like, well, well, yeah, sorry, we can't let our kids watch that show or say those things or play that video game because we're just not comfortable with that as believers. Like, that's, that's awkward. That's weird. Things could strain there in that relationship. Like, it could just be odd. But here's the thing, church. Here's what we need to remember is, is things are getting worse. Things are getting worse, and that cultural pressure is only mounting and our culture is becoming increasingly more and more hostile to the things of this world. So we need to prepare ourselves for that to continue. And it could get to the point where we lose jobs simply because we're a Christian. And we're kind of already at that point where we are being labeled as hateful and bigots just because we hold to certain values and beliefs laid out here in Scripture. Like that, that could only get worse. So we may know more of this suffering and persecution. Now here's the thing, we can see suffering and persecution as a bad thing, of, of God withholding, right? Of, of not having his love or, or God not giving us our, our best possible life or whatever it is, right? We could, use, we could view this as a really bad thing and just kind of complain and sit in that and be like, God, that's just not fair. How come I can't have these other things just because I'm following you? Or, or how come I lost out on that just because of you? Like we could see it as a bad thing, but what the Bible tells us is that it's actually the opposite of that. It's actually a good thing. And it's actually evidence of God's 
grace. I mean, we already saw this. I don't have this verse for you. We could flip over Philippians chapter 1. We already saw Paul reference this where he, he says in verse 29 of chapter 1, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That, that word been granted to you, we talked about this a few weeks ago, it means it's, it's God's gift to you. It's his gift of grace that he doesn't just save you, but he also allows you to suffer for his name. That's the the upside-down world of following Jesus is that suffering is actually God's grace because it's evidence of a growing and close relationship with him. Here's the thing, man. The world's not going to persecute you if they don't know that you're a believer. The world's not going to persecute you if they look at your life and it looks just like or very similar to their own life and values. They're not going to persecute you because they think you're, you're part of the world, as Jesus says. If you're part of the world, the world's going to love you. So if the world thinks that you're just like them, man, you don't have to worry about persecution. You don't have to worry about suffering. Satan doesn't bring spiritual attacks to those of us who are just kind of lukewarm in our faith. I mean, if we're just kind of going about our lives, keeping our faith of Jesus to ourselves, not really doing anything sacrificial for Jesus, not really doing anything outward for the name of Jesus, certainly not telling anybody about the gospel ever. Like, we're not going to do that. That's, that's weird, Travis. Like, no thanks. If we're not doing any of that, man, Satan doesn't want to bother you. He wants you to keep doing that. Please continue in your lukewarm Christianity because we're not impacting the kingdom of God that way. We're not making a difference in this world in the name of Jesus. So Satan wants us to keep doing that. He's going to leave us alone. So suffering and persecution for the name of Jesus is evidence that we are growing with him, that we are close to him. And in that way, suffering unites us with Jesus. Romans 8 16 and 17 tells us this, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I mean, just think about that for a second. We are co-heirs equal with Christ in the inheritance of all the blessings that God wants to give us. That's awesome, church. That's awesome. And how do we get there? If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Part of walking with Jesus, of being united with Christ, includes suffering for his namesake. So it unites us with Jesus. Suffering also increases our love for Jesus and should decrease our love for the world. It should remind us that, man, the world hates the way of Jesus. It hates the things of Christ. And it should be this constant reminder that, man, my whatever I'm longing for, my hope, my satisfaction, my desires are not found here. They're found in Jesus alone. Suffering kind of draws that stark line for us. It helps us make that choice between the things of this world and Jesus. Suffering also allows us to comfort others. It's part of why God brings suffering to our lives is so that we can comfort others who may walk through similar things. Uh, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 4 through 6. He says, he comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Sometimes it's nice just to know that there's, there's somebody else walking through what you've walked through, or somebody else that has walked through what you're walking through. I think about that all the time in parenting. Those of you with kids, man, like, it, it's hard. And those of you that have, have raised godly children as adults that still love and follow Jesus, man, like, praise be to God. Like, please teach me your ways. Like, that's my hope and prayer. But, man, it's hard. 
It's hard. And sometimes it's just nice to know that another parent's like, oh yeah, my kid, my kid does that too. Oh, my kid's throwing a fit on the floor in the store and just screaming and crying because I didn't give them what they wanted. It's nice to have some parent go on me and like, hey, I was there yesterday, right? Or hey, give my kid two more minutes and they'll be on the floor with your screaming and crying too. Like, it's just nice to know that somebody else is walking through what you're walking through or has walked through what you've walked through and has made it through the other side. So sometimes God brings suffering so that one day we can bring comfort to somebody else who will walk through or something similar. Jesus also brings suffering to remind us of our promise then, that final resurrection that Paul references here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it, suffering is a way of reminding us, again, that this world is not the end, that death is not the end, that God has power over all of that, and he is at work in all things, right? It's, it's important to note here that, that the sufferings come after the power of the resurrection, that Paul mentions the power of the resurrection first, because that is what gives us meaning in our suffering. The resurrection, knowing our promised end that we will one day spend eternity with Jesus in complete perfection, free from sin and pain and suffering, it gives meaning and purpose to our sufferings here in this life. Suffering is not senseless in light of the cross. Right, the worst suffering that we've seen is the perfect, innocent Jesus, God himself, being killed on the cross for our sins. What seemed to be the most senseless act of pain and suffering was actually God's power to save us. And the gospel reminds us that whatever suffering we go through in this life, that God is at work. That our suffering, our pain, our difficulty in this life is not outside of the plan and purpose and sovereign hand of our God. That he is always at work, even in our painful moments, even in our moments of suffering, right? As Romans reminds us that he is always working all things together for our good and his glory. The resurrection reminds us of that. So we are to partake in, we're to share in Jesus's sufferings if we are to know him. And number three, number three, we are to be conformed to his death, conformed to his death. So the third thing Paul says here, look at verse 10 again, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. That word being conformed is a very unique word in, in the Greek language. It's, it's actually the only place in the New Testament that it's used is, is right here. It's also the only place that any scholar and Greek literature people can ever find of this word ever being used, which is really crazy. Most people believe that Paul just made up this word, right? Now, that doesn't really like, add too much meaning to what this word actually means, but I just think it's cool, right? I think it's, just, it's a good nugget. You can throw that out there, take it if you want to, but most likely this is a word made up by Paul, but it essentially means to become like someone or, or something, right? That, that's what he's talking about here. And it uses the same root word as we see back in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, where it says that Jesus took on the form of a servant, or he was made in the form of God. That, word, that root word for form is the same root word used here by Paul. And what we talked about, if you go back to those times where we were in that section, we talked about what that word form means is being in the same character and nature as whatever you're talking about. So when, when it says that Jesus was in the form of God, it means that he was exactly like God, had the same divine nature as God. When it says that he took on the form of humanity, the form of a servant, he had the exact nature of humanity. 
So when Paul says that we are to be conformed to Jesus' death, what he's talking about here is that we are, our lives are to be marked by a, a being formed more and more like Jesus every day of our lives. That's what it means. That's what Paul is talking about here. To become more and more like Jesus each and every day. To be made more like him in his death and, yes, in his life as well. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's getting at here. And what's interesting is Paul writes this, again, just a little nerdy grammar here for you for today, so buckle up. What he, he writes this in what's called the, the passive and in the present tense of the Greek word. So passive meaning it's something done to us, not something we do on our own. So we don't make ourselves more like Jesus. Jesus makes us more like Jesus. It's also in the present tense of the word, meaning that it's something that's continual and ongoing. It is this thing that is happening every moment, every day of our lives until Jesus returns or we die and go be with him. It's this ongoing every moment, every day of being made more and more like Jesus. That's what Paul says here. To know him, that's what our lives need to look like. We need to be slowly but surely each and every day becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's interesting here that, that Paul says that we're to be conformed to his death. That's on purpose. He could have said life. He could have said any number of things, but, but he specifically says conformed to his death. The Christian life, life with Jesus, is a call to a life of death. It's a call to a life of death. It's a call to dying each and every day. Jesus even says this, Luke 9, 23, one of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says, then he said to all of them, if anyone wants to follow after me, if anyone wants to become a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, here's what this looks like. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, when he says take up his cross daily to his audience, that's not like us today. Like a cross today is, you know, a pretty piece of jewelry that we wear around our necks or maybe we put out as decoration at Christmas or Easter or, or in our own house or, or whatever it is. It's this beautiful reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, right? But, but before Jesus dies on the cross, the cross was viewed as a, as a horrific death instrument. So when Jesus tells these people in first century uh, Judaism that, that you need to pick up your cross, what he was telling them is, hey, you need to pick up a life of death. If you follow me, every single day of your life is a call to die, to put yourself on the cross and die for the name of Jesus. That's what the Christian life is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christian suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the Christian life. And that's why Paul says we are to be conformed to his death. Every day, every moment, we are dying for the name of Jesus. 
We die to ourselves, right? We, we die to our own selfish ambition and desires. The reality is, church, there are certain things, maybe there's certain goals that you might have with your family or in your career or things like that that you need to put to death for the sake of following Christ. And Paul lays out that way, right? He, he had all those personal accomplishments, all those gains that you could have as a Jewish man at that time, and he had it all. And he says all of that is garbage compared to Jesus. What he's telling us there is like, don't live your life chasing after those personal gains. Follow Jesus, because that's where true gains are found. So we die to ourselves. We die for the sake of others. As believers, we are called to put others first. We're called to love our neighbor, everybody, as much as we love ourselves. We're called to sacrifice and serve for the good of one another. We're called to, to meet needs for people in our lives, meet needs in our community. We're called to, to be generous with the blessings and resources that God has given us, not so that we can build up our own stuff and to hoard more and more, but to bless other people with that. One of the, the greatest ways that we can die to ourselves and die for the sake of somebody else is to have that awkward conversation and share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. We die for the sake of others. We die to this world. As, as Bonhoeffer told us, man, we, we die to the, the many things that could lead us astray in this life. As a believer, we put to death all the, all the desires and, and the lust that we, we have for the things of this world. We put that to death so that we could follow Jesus. Remember, we're, we're made alive. We're no longer slaves to our sin. We don't live in our sin anymore. We live for Jesus. We're to chase after Jesus. But man, the world has a pull on us, right? It can, it can pull us back. It can tempt us and lead us astray. And we have to say no to those things as good as they often look. We put that to death so that we can follow Jesus. The Christian life is a life of death. We die every day for the sake of Jesus. And I love how Jesus continues. Go back to Luke chapter 9, verse 24. He continues with this idea of what it looks like to follow him. He says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? See, when we die for the sake of Jesus, we're not losing anything. We're gaining everything. We're gaining true life in Jesus. And Jesus calls us to die because he knows, man, if we live for the things of this world, if we chase after the sin and the many temptations, the things that this world has to offer, it will only lead to our death and our destruction. Jesus knows, man, that's not what's good for you. That's not what's best. That may look good and, and appealing to the eye and the heart, and you may think you want that, but you don't. It only leads you astray. It only leads to death and brokenness and destruction. So Jesus says, man, put that to death and come follow him where true life is found. Where all those things that we, we long for and we want in this life that we think can be found in this world, man, it can't be found there. It can only be found in Jesus. So when Jesus says, put that stuff to death and come find, follow me, he's saying, man, you want joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose and meaning and value in your life and, and approval and, and all these things, again, that we love for love and mercy and grace, all that stuff that we so deeply want. Jesus says, it's found in him. It's found in him. When we die to those things, we find all of that in Jesus. So we put all that stuff to death so that we can have true life in him. So we're to be conformed to his death. We're to be conformed 
more and more to Jesus. And then fourth and finally here, we'll end here. The last thing that Paul says about knowing Jesus is that one day we will reach the full and final resurrection. To know Jesus, we are to reach the full and final resurrection. Let's go back to verse 11 here. So Paul writes in verse 10, my goal is to know him and know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Verse 11, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. This is the last part of knowing Jesus, this, this, this resurrection from the dead. And here what Paul is referencing is the final resurrection. When Jesus comes back and we are fully raised with life with him, that's what he's talking about. So the Bible says when we as believers, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, when we die, our bodies go into the grave or cremated or whatever you're going to do with your body, that, that, that's you know, put away, and our souls, our, our spirit goes up and resides with Jesus in heaven. And then when he returns, when he comes back to initiate this eternal state, the new heavens, new earth, it says that believers are raised up and we are given this glorified, resurrected, perfected body that we will live out on the new heavens and new earth in complete perfection with Jesus for all of eternity. That's the resurrection that, Jesus, that Paul is talking about here. That final and full resurrection. Now what's interesting is Paul kind of uses like some uncertain language here, right? So he says that, that, he says, assuming that somehow I will reach the resurrection. That seems to be some uncertainty, which is weird coming from Paul. When you look at what he writes about in Philippians alone and with other places in Scripture, he seems very certain of what his future is going to be. He seems very certain that he will be raised and live eternally with Jesus. So what's up with the uncertain language here? Paul's not shifting here. He's not changing. It's not like, oh, he's throwing us a curveball and he's kind of waffling and in his old age, he's kind of doubting some things. No. The uncertainty comes from how he's going to get there. That's what he's talking about. Paul knows that, man, he, he could be put to death at any moment for the name of Jesus. So he might reach the resurrection after he's put to death in this life. Maybe he dies for the name of Jesus. Maybe he gets put to death by Caesar at his trial. Maybe he dies of old age later on. He doesn't know. Maybe Jesus is going to come back before he dies, and that's how he gets to the resurrection. So the uncertainty is not if, it's how. It's how he gets there. So Paul is assured that no matter what happens in this life, no matter how he goes out, no matter if Jesus comes back first, that he will reach the final and full resurrection. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, that is our promised end as well. We can have certainty and assurance that that is what will happen, that we will spend eternity with Jesus. And again, the message of the gospel tells us this, right? It tells us that Jesus suffered in his life, that he was killed and put to death on the cross for our sins, and that then he was raised. I mean, again, that, that's the exact pattern that Paul gives us, suffer, death, resurrection. We walk in the pattern of Jesus. We follow in Jesus's footsteps. Right? The Bible says that Jesus's life and his resurrection is a pattern for us. What happened with him so happens with us. It is a pattern. And just like Jesus, his resurrection doesn't come without suffering and death. As we talked about, we will suffer in this life. And unless Jesus comes back before, we will eventually die. We will eventually die, but we can have assurance, church believer in the room, that we will also be raised. 
we will also be raised. We will reach that final and full resurrection. And as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that, man, on that day, we will fully know in all perfection. We will, we will have that perfect relationship with Jesus for all of eternity, right? And that's our prize. That's our goal. And that's what Paul's going to talk about next week. So as we pick up in verse 12 next week, man, he's going to talk about why he's, he's living the life that he lives, the way that he lives is all to reach the prize. And the prize is not just eternity free from hell. It's, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the prize. And that is what's promised to us, church. And look, that promised end of resurrection, we should not take that for granted and allow that to lead us into spiritual malaise or spiritual laziness. It's not, well, you know what? I'm going to be raised on that final day, so it doesn't matter what I do in this life. I can just get by and be mediocre with my faith and not really take it seriously. It's fine. Like Jesus, I got Jesus. I put my faith in him and and he's my get out of hell free card, right? Like I'm good. No, man, the resurrection, this promised in the gospel, what Jesus has done for us should motivate us and stir us up to live fully for Jesus. Man, our hope and our goal when we meet that end, when we come face to face with Jesus, our goal should be that, man, we look more and more like Jesus, that we look the most like Jesus that we could possibly look, that our lives were lived fully dedicated for him. That should be our goal. That's what Paul is talking about here, man. The gospel motivated him. The promises of Jesus, what Jesus did for Paul, what Jesus does for us, man, it motivated him to live for Jesus in the here and now, and it should do the same for us, church. It should lead us to want to know Jesus more and more, to never be satisfied or content with our depth of relationship with Jesus that we should always want more and more of Jesus, to give our lives more and more to Jesus. So church, that's, that's our step today. For those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, that should be our goal. That should be our desire. We should let the truth of the gospel, what Jesus did for us and what he promises us, we should let that motivate us to want to know him, to want to know him as deeply as we possibly can to want to live in his resurrection power every day of our lives, to, to want to fellowship and partake in his sufferings because we know that that's evidence of growing closer to him, to want to be conformed more and more to his life and his death, and to desire more and more to reach our full and final resurrection. So church, that's my hope and prayer for myself. That's my hope and prayer for you. This is something that we should be praying for in our lives to to know Jesus. Let us be people of God that, that know him deeper and deeper and encourage all of us together to know him deeper and deeper. Now church, in a minute, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. Johnny and Olivia are gonna come back up and lead us in some more worship and, and we're gonna do what we do every single Sunday and that is participate in a time of communion. So this is a time for those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus to, to sit for a moment, right? We're, we're called to prepare our hearts before going to the table. So maybe, believer in the room, you've been realizing, you know what, man? Like, I, I haven't been living fully for Jesus. I've been kind of like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. I don't want to go anymore. I don't want to go any deeper. I don't want to go any further. I don't, I don't want any more Jesus. I'm, I'm good. And you're realizing, man, like, that's... That's not the life that we're called to have. That's not the life that we're called to live in. And we're actually missing out on so much of what God wants to give us and bring to our lives. And maybe we just need to sit and and repent of that 
and to turn back to Jesus. And that's the beauty of the gospel, right? It tells us that, that we can always turn back to him, that we always have new mercies and, and grace upon grace upon grace with Jesus. And maybe you've just been reminded of the beauty of the gospel and all that Jesus has done for us. We just need to sit and worship and praise his name. But church, wherever you're at, whatever God's doing in your heart, respond to that. Take the time to respond in prayer and in worship. And as you're ready, you go to either table over here. We take the bread and the cup, we eat and drink and are remembering and celebrating Jesus's death on the cross and his resurrection for our salvation. And for those here that maybe don't know Jesus, the Bible tells us that there's a resurrection for you as well. It's just a resurrection not into eternal freedom and perfection and glory with Jesus, but eternal torment and separation from Jesus in hell forever. That's what the Bible tells us clearly is the fate of those who do not believe. But it doesn't have to be. Because the gospel also tells us is that salvation is available to all who would call upon the name of the Lord, all who would put their faith in Jesus. So if you're here and you're realizing, man, I, I, don't, I don't have that relationship with Jesus. I don't, I don't really know him at all. I've been trusting in my own works. I've been trusting in my own righteousness. I've been trusting in my own upbringing and religion and whatever it may be to think that I'm good with God. And if God is telling you and he's speaking and he's leading in your heart, like, no, no, you're not. Put your faith in me. Church, respond to that. Don't let today go by without putting your faith in Jesus. Put your faith and your trust in him. And Jesus says, when you do that, you're saved. You're saved and you're brought into this wonderful life and relationship with him. So if you want to know more about what that looks like, man, I'll be hanging out in the back after service. I'd love to talk with you. Anybody here, honestly, would love to talk with you about that. But don't leave today without putting your faith in Jesus, without getting your questions answered. Let me, let me pray for us and we'll step into this time of worship. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for who you are, Lord, for your goodness, for your love, for your grace and mercy in our lives. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for going to the cross willingly, giving your life for ours, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for what that means for us, Lord. It means new life. It means power to live for you, and it means a, a future that is secure with you for all of eternity, Jesus. So we thank you for all of that, Lord. Let, let that motivate us today and every day, Lord, to live fully for you, to give our lives fully to you, to know you. Jesus, we, we thank you for who you are, for all that you've done for us, Lord. We ask this in your name.